Uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Uh, I was there. It says here, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So uh, today's passage is a, it, it's a great passage and a great reminder for us as Christians as to uh, what our mission is here on earth. Uh, people wonder about what their purpose is and what it is that they're called to do, what it is they're called to live for. And uh, that question, if you're, if you're a Christian, that question can be answered very easily. Uh, we're called to worship Christ in, in generality, right? That's, in general, that's what we're called to do. We're called to worship Christ in everything that we do. And um, we're called to do everything and anything for the glory of God. But as Christians, we do have a mission. Uh, we do have something we ought to be doing. And today's passage teaches us what we need to be doing as we wait on the Lord's return, right? Because waiting is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. We sometimes think of waiting as a a passive thing where we're just sitting and we're just buying time. Uh, But we're called to do a lot more than just buy time. We're called to be active in waiting for the Lord's return. So we have hope that he's coming back. But at the same time, we're actively hoping that he's coming back. That means we are working and we are doing what what God has called us to do. Now, I say that, but then don't you hate that, um, like whenever you are about to do something, something pops in your mind that you need to go and do something. Uh, You're on your way to go do it. And then all of a sudden you forget about what it is that you were going to go do. I I hate that. And it seems to happen more and more to me as I get older. You know, I just I'm a busybody. And so this has been, my recovery has been uh, a little difficult because I push myself too much, uh, but I always have to be doing something. I'm not just happy with just sitting down. I don't like to be, uh, I don't like to be bored. That, that's the B word in our house. You're not allowed to say that in our house, our kids, because the minute they say that I'm bored, I put them to work, right? So, uh, but I don't like to be just sitting down. Um, there has to be something kind of wrong with me if I'm just relaxing all day. Um, so I'm always doing something, but I hate it whenever I think of something I need to do. I walk over there and then all of a sudden I'm just like, mine goes blank, completely blank. And uh, it's funny, too, because usually it doesn't come to you um, when you're sitting there thinking about it. Right. Because if you sit there and you think about what was it that I was supposed to do, you really can't think of it. It's a it's a moment where you walk away and you go do something else and you think of it right there and then. Right. I, I think there are a lot of Christians like that in this world. They've forgotten what they're supposed to be doing for the Lord. Um, either that or they've never been taught. They've never been taught. But I can't even go there because, you know, the Bible is very clear about what we ought to be doing. It is completely clear. And look, I, look I'm, I'm looking at this crowd and I see a very diverse crowd. And when I mean diverse, I don't mean race. I mean uh, ages. You know, I see seasoned folks. 
right? That's the word y'all want me to use, right? Seasoned folks, amen? Okay, I see seasoned or wise, wise folks, right? That's even better. I see wise folks, and then I see young, very young folks in this room. Yeah, not talking to you, Brian. <laughs> You're my age. We're not young anymore. I see very young folks in this room. And the thing is, is that we are all, we are all called to this mission. We are all called to this purpose. If we have confessed Christ and, 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 we, have, and we see him as our Lord and Savior, we're all called to this, right? And so either Christians have forgotten what they're called to or they've never been taught. And the thing is, is that Christians are going through the motion, emotions in life. Uh, they, they have their priorities all wrong, right? It, they, they think life is about making money and taking care of their family. And that's their number one objective in life. Or they're confused about going to college and making the grades that they need to make. And that's their number one priority in life. Or they think about just, you know, just really enjoying this life. Christians get really caught up in just trying to enjoy the here and now. But in the Bible, we're not told to, to focus on the here and now that much. Obviously, we have to focus on it because we're living here and now. But what does the Bible tell us? It tells us to look at the kingdom of God beyond. Look at what is unseen, not what is seen, right? So Christians lose focus on what it is that their mission is, the mission that they've gotten for God. And we have our priorities all out of whack. Well, today's passage is going to help calibrate us in this area. Uh, that's another word that's used in the Garcia household. Calibrate. Yeah. With my kids, every now and then I have to calibrate them, right? We got to get them back to center. And, and for Christians, it's the same way. That's why we come and hear the word of God. That's why I prepare a message. When I prepare a message, God calibrates me. Then therefore, I share it with you and hopefully God calibrates you. So here, today's passage is going to calibrate us in this area and help us to realize the, the need that we have uh, to be doing what God has called us to do, to be doing God's mission. And uh, we need to have that on the forefront of our minds. There are three things that I, I want to go over with you in this passage. And then I have a conclusion, which includes an application. And remember, I'm still dealing with my breathing, so don't don't get too concerned about me. I'm, I'm completely fine up here. If I fall over, then you can get concerned. Okay? So there are three things that I want to talk to you about today. First of all, the risen Lord and how he appears to his disciples and uh, what all that means. And then the risen Lord and how he encourages his disciples and how that, that applies to us and, uh, and, and how we should be encouraged as well. And then the risen Lord and how he commissions his disciples. Commission is just a, a fancy word for how he, how he charges them, the responsibility that he gives them, and also how that applies to us. And then I'm going to wrap it all up with uh, an application that, that, we, that can be useful to all of us. So first of all, let me talk about how the risen Lord appeared to his, his disciples. This story here, it, it's pretty awesome. It's taking place on the same day that the uh, disciples ran to the tomb, right? The same day of his resurrection. So if you look at chapter 20... Uh, the very beginning of chapter 20 starts with the resurrection, right? And then it goes into Jesus appearing before Mary Magdalene. And then we have our passage here today. 
uh, verses 19 through uh, 23. So this is the same day that the disciples, that John talks about the disciples running to the tomb, right? And I always love that passage because it's, only men would do this, but John, in John, in John chapter 20, talks about how he and this other disciple were running to the tomb and how he, well, the other disciple was Peter and how he beat Peter to the tomb, right? He basically said, I, basically, I, I was faster than Peter. Uh, or maybe he was saying, I cared more, so I beat Peter to the tomb. But either way, when they got to the tomb, the tomb was empty. Uh, Jesus had risen from the grave. And so when they went in there and looked, uh, there was no body. And the Bible talks about how after they didn't see a body, that they departed for their own homes. So this is on early Sunday, where they went to the tomb, didn't see a body, then they departed. And then in uh, verses 11 through uh, 23, we see uh, Mary Magdalene was there with them. She looks into the tomb. There's no body. But then when she looks in, there's two angels. And she sees the two angels and she begins to weep. And then she turns around and she sees what she thinks is a gardener behind her. And she tells the, the gardener, she tells him, I, I, I just want my master. I want my Lord. Just tell me where he's at and I'll go and find him. And then Jesus physically reveals himself to her and tells her, Mary, it is I, right? And then when Mary realizes that it's Jesus, you know, she's just completely excited. And he tells her to go back and tell the disciples uh, what she has seen. So all this is, is, is that same day. Mary leaves and she goes and, and tells the disciples. Well, at some point, the disciples leave their own home and they come back to wherever they're at right now in our passage. And that's kind of where we pick up. So one thing we know is if this is all the same day, then what does that mean? It means this is on a Sunday, right? This is on a Sunday. You know how I can tell? Well, Jesus rose on a Sunday, and also Scripture says it's a Sunday. Look at verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So this is all on a Sunday and that this is taking place. And what makes it even more special is that this is the day of Jesus' resurrection. So we get a, a picture of, of, of what things look like in our text. The disciples come together again, and it's, it's probably more than just the disciples. It's probably the same crowd that was in, in the upper room in, at Pentecost. And uh, so that included the disciples and, and, and some of Jesus' family. Right, so it's probably the, the same amount of people here, minus Thomas, which we're going to talk about next week. We know he's not there. And then, of course, we know that Judas is not there. Uh, those two for sure. But they're there. And listen, they're fearful. They're fearful. And it shows that they're fearful because they're behind locked doors. Our pastor says that they're meeting behind locked doors. And we'll get into as to why they're meeting behind locked doors, but... They're in this, they've locked themselves in this room, and then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Listen, there was no knock on the door, right? There was no knock on the door. There was no Jesus kicking in the door. But we have to understand that this passage is saying, and the whole reason why it's even mentioning that there was a locked door was so that you can know that Jesus just appeared in the room. The walls, the door, 
If you put a guard out there, it, it didn't matter. Jesus was going to come in that room. Right? Death couldn't stop him. What well, makes you think a locked door is going to stop him? Right? So he rose from the grave. He went to go visit his disciples. And the door was locked. And then all of a sudden he appeared. Now think about this for a moment. Think about if you were in their shoes, what kind of reaction you would have. But even before I get there, let's talk about something that is very popular in church life today. It has been very popular for a long time. And this is something that we work to correct as a church, right? Maybe you've been to a church before. I certainly have. Where at the very end, there's a message, the gospel is given, there's a, 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 an invitation, right? And the pastor says, or the preacher says this, only if you would let God into your heart, right? That's something that we have all heard before. The Lord can be your savior. You just have to let him into your heart. First of all, that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. Nowhere to be found. Even trying to find a passage that says that God dwells just in our hearts. The Bible says he takes residence in us, right? He is completely and wholly in us, as well as he is everywhere else. There's not a passage that says, well, he, he only dwells in your heart. And the only way he gets there, if you let him in, Jesus is knocking on the heart of your door. Uh-uh. I'm sorry to tell you, but he's not. He's not knocking on the heart of your door. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to bust open the door either. You see, that's a man-centered way of looking at salvation. It's like, well, if, if Jesus wants to get in my heart and, and I have to let him in before he can get in there. Jesus, what we have to understand is what the Bible does say is that the Father draws us in. Right? Jesus even says that. You cannot come to me unless the Father draws you in. He's not asking to come in. He's drawing us in. He's changing our hearts. He's doing the work in us in order so that we can see our sin and we can see him as God. That's what he's doing. Now, nothing else is happening except that. So it's not about inviting Jesus into your heart. It's about recognizing through the new heart that God has given you that you're a sinner in need of a savior. That's what it's about. I, I, I didn't want to leave this passage without, without saying that because, listen, the grave couldn't stop him. The locked door couldn't stop him. You're not going to be able to stop him if you are his. Right? You're not going to be able to stop him. Pharaoh couldn't stop him. There is no stop in the Lord. He is sovereign and he will do his work in us. Now, what's also cool about this is that, you know, we're here having church and this is great. This is the, the highlight of our week as believers. We, 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 we study at home and then we get to come together and we get to be together. We get to encourage one another. We get to hear the word of God. We get to sing. We get to be excited about being here in the house of the Lord and, and just being with everybody, with each other. So this is Sunday service for us, and this is something that we look forward to. 
What's going on here in our passage? This is the first recorded Christian service on a Sunday. How about that? That's pretty cool. And it's, it's on the day of his res- resurrection. So we would say this is Easter service for them. Right? Uh, so this is uh, on, on the day of his resurrection. This is the first recorded church service on a Sunday. This is the Lord's Day. And they are having church that morning. That's exactly what's going on. They are having a church service. And I think it's fitting that the Lord of the church, Jesus is the head of the church, we are the body. The Lord of the church is physically, is physically present at the first Christian uh, church service. I think that's awesome. You know what? He's still present now. Right? Because the church, I know I said the Lord's house, I misspoke. The Lord's house is our, is our, is our body. Right. He's present in us. So wherever we go, the Lord goes. When we all come together, the Lord is present. He is here. He is ministering to our hearts right now, especially as you hear this sermon. So what's what's awesome is that the Lord is physically present here, though. But one thing I look at is when I look at this whole scene, it's, it's so humbling to see. It's really, it's so awesome to see the humbling beginnings of the church. They had less people than we do right now. We're about a hundredfold whenever we can all meet together. They had less than that. It's Jesus, his disciples, and a couple of Jesus' relatives. They're in here having church. It's awesome to see how the church has progressed from that time. Talk about humble beginnings, but also talk about a display of God's power. Look, we never know what God's going to do. There's been millions upon millions upon millions of people who have been who who have been members of his church since that time period. And maybe my figures are off. Maybe there are trillions of people. I don't I don't know. There's no way of knowing. Only God knows. But there's no telling what God's going to do with his church. And I think that's an awesome message for us today. I think this church, what year was it? 1954, if I'm not mistaken. That's when this this church here was, was born. That's when this fellowship here was born. God created this church to serve him. And it had very humble beginnings. It it, it started in a living room. And throughout the years, it moved around. It didn't have a building. It moved around from building to building to building. Look, listen, if you don't know the history of this church, talk to members who have been here a long time. Who have been here building to building to building to building. They have some stories they can tell you and you can be encouraged from them. But God finally move the body into this building here. I believe in 92. Is that right? Yeah, 92. And God has been faithful to this church ever since then. We have seen a lot of change. A lot of people have left. A lot of people have come. But God has remained faithful. We need to remain faithful to him. We need to minister to the people of the church. And we need to share his gospel. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We need to be faithful. Pray, because you never know what God's going to do. 
The second thing is that not only did did the Lord just appear to his disciples, not just to appear to them, but there was a purpose behind his, his appearing to them. Number one, his purpose was to encourage them. And then number two, his purpose was to give them a mission, right? To commission them for their mission. And that's what we're going to talk about here in these last two points. Now, in order to help us get the full story, I want to cross-reference Luke chapter 24. So hold your Bibles to Luke 20 and then turn to Luke uh, chapter 24 and hold your place there because we're going to visit that several times with these next two points. And uh, Luke 24, just to let you know, it's the exact event. It's just, it's just based on Luke's perspective. So it, Luke is filling in the cracks that, that, that John left out because John's reason for writing his letter is completely different than what Luke, Luke's is. And Luke was a doctor. He loved details. So anytime I, in the gospel stories, when I want to fill in the blanks, I usually try to go to Luke first. Um, but anyway, when we look at this, we see that the disciples were afraid and that the Jewish religious leaders, uh, they were afraid that the Jewish religious leaders would come after them. That's why they were behind that locked door. And that's why they were really afraid. And that's why they were completely shocked whenever Jesus just appeared in the room. They, no telling who they thought it was at first. They may have thought, oh my gosh, they, they've got the, the, the guards have gotten in the room. They've infiltrated the, the, the room and now we're in trouble. You, you just never know what they thought they saw whenever they first saw Jesus. But when Jesus appeared before them, this is what John says. John says that they were glad when they saw him. I tell you what, that's a big, big understatement. They were glad. Again, let me put you in their shoes. You're a disciple. You, you saw them arrest Jesus. You saw the huge army. Remember what we talked? Hundreds, hundreds of soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. You saw them grab him, take him, beat him, whip him, torture him. You saw him before he was hung on the cross and how he, how he looked. Then you saw him hang on the cross. They nailed his hands and his feet. They punctured his side. Saw him take his last breath. Saw all that happen. John certainly did. He saw all of it. What the others saw, they saw some of it. I don't know if they saw all of it. But they were witnesses to what happened to Jesus. Then they grabbed his body. They prepared, prepared it for burial. They put him in the grave. They were done. At that moment, they were done. They lost all hope. Their rabbi, their teacher, their mentor, their savior was gone. And they thought he was gone forever. They thought they lost everything. And now they're fearing for their lives because if the religious leaders were able to have that influence and do that to Jesus, what do you think they were going to do to them? And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Let me ask you this. Would you use the word glad to say that you saw him? No, you would not. 
How about, number one, terrified. Jesus was dead. His physical body was dead. And then he appears in a room before them. How about that? How about terrified? How about confused? How about ecstatic, excited? How about not being able to have any first initial reaction? You ever do that? Something so great happens, you're just like stuck. You don't know what to think. You don't know what to say. You're just stuck. You're at a loss for words. But John says here that they were glad to see him. Luke, Luke says something different, right? Let's look at what Luke says. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 37 through 38. But they were startled and frightened. Oh, that's better. That's a lot better. They were startled and frightened. If somebody just appeared in a, in a room that you were, you were behind a locked door, yeah, you would be startled and you would be frightened. And they thought that they saw a spirit. They thought they saw a ghost when Jesus appeared to them. And he said to them, why are you troubled? I would have been like, Jesus, that's funny. <laughs> that's real funny. Why am I troubled? And why do, you, why do doubt arise in your hearts? That's what Jesus' response to them was. But you see, if you, if you understand the context, you'll understand Jesus' questions to them. Like Jesus didn't expect them not to be startled because he appeared and he could understand why they were startled. But listen, Jesus, for at least the last year of being with them, had been preparing them for this moment in time. If you go back through the Gospels, what is Jesus doing? He's reminding them. He's telling them, I will. I will be executed. I will be hung on a cross. I will be lifted up. I will die. On the third day, I will rise. And I'm going to come back to you. And Jesus had been teaching that, telling them, reminding them. But they never got it. They didn't understand it. They didn't, they didn't believe at that moment in time. So Jesus is saying, why are you troubled? Why has doubt overtaken you? I told you I was coming back. And they're sitting there just shocked, not knowing exactly how to respond. And to prove it was him, Jesus showed them the wounds on his hands. Because when they saw him, they thought it was a ghost. He's like, no, look, look at my hands. You saw where the nails went in, right? Look at my hands. You saw where they pierced my side. Look at my side. It's me. It's me. I'm fulfilling my promise to you. And and even then, they were still like, "Uh I don't know. Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? Makes sense. What do humans do? We eat and we drink. Ghosts don't eat and drink. Jesus is like, do you have anything to eat? And the passage says 
that when they saw the holes in his hands, when they saw the hole on his side, and when they saw him eat, they began to believe. It says that they were, actually it says that they were filled with joy and they marveled. And faith started to grow. And everything that Jesus had told them before, they began to remember. And in, inwardly, they began to celebrate the fact that the Lord is risen. But listen, they had some things to deal with when he came to Jesus. Because the last time each of these men saw Christ, they betrayed him. Talk about awkward. They betrayed Christ. They all left. Even John, who kind of stood back, he stood back at a safe distance. But they all betrayed him. And how does the Lord greet them? He greets them with love and peace. Pops in the door, or pops in the room. Doesn't chastise them for betraying him. He greets them with love and peace. Now the, the risen Lord greets them with love and peace. And he is fulfilling a promise that he given to him. What was that promise? Turn real quick to John chapter 14. This is what Jesus had told them before he was crucified. And this is the, the week of his, of his uh, crucifixion. John 14, verse 27 through 29. Jesus told them this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come back to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the father for the father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now Jesus pops in this room and says, remember what I told you? I'm back. I'm back and I'm about to go to the Father. Jesus fulfilled his promise. In fact, if you look back at scripture, Jesus fulfilled every promise God had made in the Old Testament. So guess what? Guess what that means? It means that he is going to fulfill his promise to us. That he will Come back. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to believe. Last week I told you about despair and hope. And I told you sometimes we're so much in despair, we forget about the promises that God have, has made to us. That's why we shouldn't focus on the here and now so much. Because the here and now is only temporary. I don't care if you live 90, 100, over 100 years old. It goes by like that. And that is still temporary. But what the Lord has in store for his children, 
is eternal. And the Lord has promised to come back for us. And I know if you're like me, sometimes you're thinking, is that really going to happen? And guess what? One day we're going to be like the disciples. We may not be behind a locked room, but we're going to go be about our daily business. And then all of a sudden we're going to see something in the sky. And it's going to be the Lord of hosts coming back for his people. It's going to be the son of God. We're going to look and we're not automatically going to be glad, right? We're going to be terrified at first. We're not going to know what it, it, what it is or who he is initially. The Bible says every eye will see. We may be terrified. We may be excited. We're, actually, we're going to be all those things. We're going to be confused. Eventually, we're going to be praising God once we come to our senses and realize what's happening. And just like he told the disciples, he's going to tell us, remember, I told you, do not be afraid. I told you that I was coming for you. I told you that I was preparing a place for you. And I told you I was going to come back for you. And I told you I was going to take you to be with me. One day we're going to see what that's like. Just like the Lord fulfilled his promise to them, he's going to fulfill his promise to us. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then in our passage, we see how the Lord commissions his disciples and tells them what it is that they ought to be doing. Listen to this very carefully. And I don't care how old you are. Listen to me very carefully. This Sunday service that Jesus was having with the disciples, it was very important and it had a theme, it had a message behind it. See, every single Sunday, if it's me preaching or Pastor Laramie preaching, there's a theme, there's a purpose behind why we're meeting. And it all revolves around the sermon. The, the praise and worship team, they, they are sent the passage ahead of time so that they can study it. And then they can prepare music that goes with the theme. Obviously, we spend time studying the passage, exegeting the passage, figuring out what truth we're going to focus on, thinking about our our church people and how we're going to minister to them with the passage. Not only that, then we we look at the application of the the, uh, sermon. How am I going to apply this for our body so that they can understand God's wonderful truth. And and if this is an area that we need to improve on, we can be obedient to the Lord. Obviously, the the theme for today's passage is the Christian's mission. So here, I'm focusing on telling you what Christ wants you to be doing with your life as you wait for his return. See, this service had a theme as well. It was this. Jesus wanted them to know or he wanted them to remember what he had taught them and to reach the loss with the gospel. If he was going to uh, put a title on his sermon that day, it would be somewhere close to that. Or if he had a sermon summary, 
for what he was telling them, it would be that. Remember what I taught you and reach the lost with the gospel. Essentially, that's what we come together for every single Sunday. I stand up here. Pastor Laramie stands up here. And we remind you of what Jesus taught the apostles. And we encourage you, share the gospel with the lost. That's exactly what we do every single Sunday. That's what we're supposed to do. And in that, if we have some encouragement from God, and in that, if we have some correction from God, that's great and that's wonderful. But let me tell you this. I will never focus on the encouragement first and foremost. If there is encouragement in God's word, I'll be glad to tell you. If there is correction that's needed from God's word, I'll be happy to tell you that too. But every single Sunday, we're being reminded of what Jesus said, or what Jesus did, or what God did in the Old Testament. And then we're also being encouraged to share the gospel with the lost. Now listen to this. Jesus has just risen from the grave. This is his first opportunity he has with the disciples. This is what's on his heart, and this is what's on his mind. In other words, this is what's important to our Lord and our Savior. He meets with the disciples, and he wants them to remember what he said, and he wants them to share the gospel with the lost. Look what Luke 24 says. Luke 24 Verses 45 through 49. He said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What did Jesus do? According to Luke 24, number one, he opened their eyes to understand scripture. I think that's awesome. How are they going to share the gospel if they don't understand it? How are they going to share the gospel if they can't see it for themselves? So what does that tell us? It tells us that whenever we become Christians and we have, make a profession of faith, God equips us with the ability to understand the gospel, not so that we can just cherish it ourselves and keep it to ourselves. God gives us the ability to understand the gospel through our heart change so that we can share it with the lost. As soon as we become Christians, we're we're equipped with that. So, He opens their eyes to understand scripture. He reminded them of the prophecies about him. Verse 46. Verse 47. He reminded them that they need to share the gospel. Verse 49. He promised them that they will always have help from above. Jesus' sermon was a four-point sermon. And then I know he wrapped it up with a wonderful application. See, these are the things that we should be thinking of ourselves. Understanding God's word. 
If we're going to understand God's word, we've got to be a student. We've got to be a student of his word. It's not going to happen through osmosis or anything else automatically. I think it's funny. Honestly, I think a lot of Christians are lazy when it comes to God's word. Anywhere else, we, we don't do this anywhere else. Whenever we have a job to do and there's something that we have to know, what are we doing? Oh, we're getting to know it. Right? We're, we're in it. Whatever it is. If it's a, a booklet, if it's a booklet or if it's training, whatever it is, we're into it. We're reading it. Why? Because that's how we eat and that's how we provide for our family. See, we've lost perspective, though. That's temporary. That's only here to sustain us here and now. But this, this is the word, these are the words of the eternal God. Speaking to his people on how he wants to be worshipped, how we can please him. And yet, we are not students of his word. We need to be students of God's word. God has given us the ability to understand it. But in order to understand something, you have to at least read it. He reminded them about the prophecies about him. The Lord's always reminding us of what his word says. That's that's the beautiful benefit of God's word. Whenever you need it, God brings it to your mind. He reminds you of the promises he's made to you. He reminds you of what he's done in your life. He reminded them to share the gospel. I know you've had a tug at your heart when you are with family. I know you've had a tug at your heart whenever you're at work. I know you've had that tug at your heart to share the gospel. Listen, if the time is right and you have that tug in your heart, share it. Don't let that opportunity go by. Share it. That's what the Lord has called you to do. And he has promised to help you. That's the awesome thing behind it. We're not, we're not doing this alone. You know, a story that comes to mind when I think about what it is our mission is supposed to be and our, our God's command to us to evangelize, I think about when Jesus was left in the temple as a child. I, I, I've always loved that story, and I love the ending of it whenever his parents go back to find him. They're in Jerusalem, they leave, and people back then used to travel with family and a whole lot of other people. So when they leave, they think Jesus is with uh, a family member. They get a couple days out, and then they realize Jesus is not with them. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty crazy. I guess they thought Jesus was sleeping with his Thea or Theo or whatever, right? But they get a couple days out. They realize, oh, no, we left him. They go back to find him, and he's at the temple. And when they go back to find him, 
they're, they're pretty concerned and, and probably mad. And uh, they ask him, why have you done this to us? In fact, verse 48, Luke chapter 2, verse 48 says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? I've always loved that. I love what the King James Version, how the King James Version puts it, and also how the New King James puts it. It says, Jesus tells them, um, he says, uh, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I've always thought about that verse and thought, man, I need to be about my father's business, no matter what I'm doing. Above and beyond my own business. I need to make my father's business my business. See, like Jesus, we also need to be about our father's business, first and foremost. What is his business? His business is this, shepherding his sheep and adding to his fold. That's what we're told in the Bible. That's his business. Shepherding his sheep, adding to his fold. What do I mean by that? Well, it means his business is caring for the church and bringing his elect unto himself. How? By preaching, by the teaching, and by the sharing of his word. That's his business. We should emulate Jesus in all things. That means we should minister to the sick. We should minister to the poor. We should minister to the needy of the church. We cannot neglect those things. That's part of our mission too. Our missions are act of mercy. We need to help people. We need to do that of the people from the church and from the lost. That means we need to give our time, our talents, and our treasures in order to help people. And we need to share the gospel with the lost. If we focus only on one and not the other, we fail to do what we are called to do. Think about it. Someone comes here. They're hungry. They haven't physically eaten in four or five days. Let's just say that. They need some food from the pantry. They come in here and we say, Okay, yeah, we have food for you. Here, here are two bags. Thank you. God bless. They leave. What have we done for them? We have put food in their belly, which is temporary. We have only helped them a little. Our greater calling is to feed their spirit. And give them manna from heaven. The only bread of life that will feed them forever. So instead of just giving them food, we talk to them about Christ. We pray with them. We give them the food and then we send them all their way. The results are up to God. See, as a church, we need to focus on both because that is his business. We cannot neglect the church but we also have to share the gospel with the lost. Remember, this was on the heart and mind of our Lord when he first appeared to his disciples. This was the first thing he chose to tell them. This is what he commissioned them to do. The Bible tells us that the gospel, that we should not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
from faith for faith. Because the righteous shall live by faith. We need to take that to heart. And what's cool about it is that the disciples, when we read this story, they had the help of the Spirit for their mission. That's why Jesus said, that's why he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get confused between this and Pentecost. This is a precursor to Pentecost. It didn't say that he breathed the Spirit on them. It said that he breathed, he breathed on them. He, is that the right word? He breathed on them? Yeah, he breathed on them. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This was a precursor to what would happen at Pentecost whenever the Holy Spirit visibly showed himself and came down on the disciples and they became the apostles. This was a precursor, but that was a sign that I will be with you. In fact, he told them, don't leave here until you receive power from on high. The disciples had the promise of Christ that he would be with them for their mission, and so do you. He talks with you, he walks with you, and what's awesome about everything that he has told you to do, the results belong to him. We just must be obedient in caring for his church and sharing the gospel with the lost. Let us pray. Or actually, sorry, creed and the praise and worship team will come up and you have this opportunity to pray now as we play our last song we reserve this time for a time of prayer you're free to pray at your seat you're free to come up here and pray you're free to pray with each other if you're comfortable with that but take take advantage of this opportunity how has the message spoke to you and how are you going to respond in obedience